Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Let me see your hand tonight if you've ever found yourself in a conflict with someone that you care about. (laughs) I saw some feet go up too. Uh, So this is a reality of life. We find ourselves from time to time in conflict, even with the people, and maybe especially with the people that we care about and that care about us. Take a moment right now to imagine a theoretic world in which you are married to someone who is the love of your life, and they do everything the way that you like it. They cook everything the way that you like it. There's no reason for argument or conflict. That sounds like a pretty blissful experience, doesn't it? Um, Well, except it might be a little boring, wouldn't it? See, the, the thing is that we do not appreciate conflict like we ought to. And because there is so much drama involved with conflict these days, we get our feelings bruised, we get our egos involved, and because a conflict... Uh, often is a a traumatic experience, we don't appreciate it for what it is. See, oftentimes it is out of conflict if we will treat it right and if we will come to righteous resolutions, then conflict can be the seed that brings forth the fruit of much better things. The, the simple truth is tonight is that if you're a married couple and you never fight, never have a discussion, then I'm wondering, I'm wondering how healthy your marriage is. But when partners, both in marriage, uh, in family, parents and children, partnerships at work, relationships in your life, friendships, when we will courageously face and resolve conflicts, this can have the effect of helping us to develop a better understanding of one another. And that is ultimately the goal of the kingdom, right? What did Jesus come to do? He said, I came to reveal to you the Father. I came to show you how to have a relationship with my Father so that you could know Him and that He could know you. That relationship, we preach often in a Christian church about the importance of relationship over religion, don't we? It's more important to have the relationship with God and interaction. And sometimes in a relationship, you have conflict. Isn't that what prayer is all about? Have you ever found yourself in a conflict even with God? God, why is this happening? What's going on? It's not supposed to be like that. And you go to God in prayer and you have a righteous resolution. And that, what does that do? It deepens your 
your relationship with the Father. That's a good thing. In fact, if you look back over the years of your salvation and your testimony, I can guarantee the times that you were going through the very worst things in your life was also the time that God manifested His presence in your life, that you sought Him in the secret place and wept tears and said, God, where are you? And God says, here I am. This is also true in the arena of human relationships. If it's true between God, it's also true between us as God's people. And I am convinced why, the reason why many marriages, families, relationships, friendships in our generation fall short and fall apart is because we are experts at avoiding problems, running from problems, throwing the dirty socks under the bed, as, to, as we would say, until they begin to stink up the entire house. And if children are growing up in homes, and some of us, we grew up, uh, it's possible that you grew up in a home where mom and dad were, if they were even ever near each other, it's possible that they, all you knew was constant bickering, cursing, name-calling. And if a resolution was, uh, was, was uh, resolved, if, if a relationship was repaired, it wasn't done righteously. And so we have a whole generation that does not know how to resolve conflicts. That's a problem. When every fight, when every disagreement ends up with fists flying, that's a problem, isn't it? When, or when every conflict ends in a relationship being severed, run away from one another, See, this is how human society breaks down little by little. Children that grow up in homes like that will be afraid to commit. This is why the marriage rate has has sunk. This is also why we've seen in the last couple of years the rate of suicide in teenagers has skyrocketed. I'm very concerned about young people in our generation. And part of the reason is right here because they've never seen two people Resolve a conflict. This is a problem tonight. And this is the solution that Jesus gave us for conflict resolution. Oh, wouldn't it be great if there was some ancient solution right out of the mouth of Jesus that was written down for all of us to learn from? Well, it's there. Matthew 18. What I like to refer to as the Matthew 18 principle. This is far more than just a nice little scripture to pull out when you're going through problems, this is a principle for living and a principle for producing good resolutions to conflict. You can use this right now in your life. Let's read it together. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 15. And I pray that God will speak to you tonight. Words of Jesus. He says, Moreover, if your brother, or we can put in, the, you can put in the title of, uh, of the person that you're having a conflict right here. If your wife, or if your husband, or your child, or your, your, uh, your best bud from way back when, or uncle or cousin, or you, you fill in the blank there. If your brother sins against you, 
Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. IRS has leaped right in there. Verse 18, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered, this often quoted scripture and less often quoted in context, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we thank you for your presence, for your word, which brings inspiration and life. We're thanking you tonight. God, help us to be attentive to your word. Help us to search our hearts tonight and find if there is any uh, uh, unresolved conflicts that remain in our hearts tonight. And let us, God, let us be open and honest before you and before those who may have sinned against us. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, this is a message I've titled, Righteous Resolutions. And I think that's important tonight because it's not just, what, what I'm preaching about tonight is not just getting through life without dying. Like, that's a very low bar to live by. I made it through another day. I just survived without a pan being thrown at my head. There's a lot of people who make it through to the next day, but there is an adjective in that title that's very important. It's not just about resolution. It's about righteous resolution. It is about making sure that our relationships are secure. And just coming to the end of a fight doesn't mean that it's been resolved well. That's okay, I'll just preach to myself tonight. So uh, the, um, the first point I want to make tonight is, is one that ought to be obvious, but isn't always. And that is, sinner's going to sin. <laughs> And what I mean by that tonight, I, I, I don't mean to lower expectations. I don't mean to, uh, to you know, mock the sanctification that God is doing in our lives. But especially when it comes to people that we're close to, in our homes, in our families, people we're friends with, husbands, wives, children, parents, we have to keep in the back of our mind this expectation that, you know, Nobody has sprouted angel wings yet. I don't see any halos out there tonight. And this reflects the reality that God is still working on us. God is still working on me. We ought to be humble enough to recognize that Adam Dragoon is not finished yet. And that there is a possibility, a very rare possibility, that I might sin against you. I hope that I don't, and you hope that I don't. But this is a reality of life 
that is still under the curse. Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, we have the blood of Jesus. We have the Spirit. But listen, sometimes I don't listen to the Spirit. Can I be honest? Sometimes there's a time, uh, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. That you stay in the Spirit 100% of the time. And you never get in the flesh. And you never say evil words to people you care about. So I'll have to come for some advice after the service. Please help me. Because sometimes I do that. Don't be so surprised when conflict arises. This has been a problem in some churches. People come to churches and and all of a sudden you, you get to know people a little bit inside of churches and you realize, wow, people have problems. Isn't that amazing? Wait, pastor, I thought that only perfect people went to church. Actually, no, the perfect people stay out of the church. The only ones who come in here are the ones who understand, I need Jesus because I'm full of problems. See, we are not guaranteed this smooth sailing relationship experience. I wish that I could wrap you up in bubble wrap, you know, and protect your fragile ego when I send you home to your family tonight. But I can't do that. Listen, especially with husbands and wives. Man, us husbands, we have fragile egos. And just the wrong look, the wrong word, the wrong look of the eye can, can bruise our humble, maybe it's just me, I'll talk about myself tonight, can bruise this fragile ego. And I can't bubble wrap that. I have to understand that conflict is going to happen. I have to be prepared mentally for that. And so do you. In the church, we have to understand. Listen, you read the New Testament epistles. We just got done spending seven or eight months looking at 1 Corinthians, right? I mean, that church had some serious problems. Conflict always arises out of sin and rebellion against God. There's going to be offenses. There's going to be grudges. There is going to be people who Keep things on file. And remember, marriage is going to bring its fair share of conflicts. I picked up this, uh, this article that uh, gives us the most, seven most common areas of conflict in marriage. Maybe you can identify. Unmet expectations. The subject of children, whether to have them, when to have them, how to discipline them, correction, all of those things, that's a subject of great conflict between husbands and wives. Finances, 22% of all divorces arise from conflict over finances. The allocation of time and personal pursuits, isn't it interesting that when you're single, you have 24 hours a day, seven days a week for yourself. And then you get married, and there is this new person as part of your life. Same job, same hobbies, same friends and family, but now you have a spouse. And now that 24 hours a day is shared, and now you have to begin giving up parts of yourself that, come, that can lead to conflict. Uh, 
Number five on the list is a lack of uh, sexual compatibility. This is a source of great conflict in marriage, breakdown in communication, silent treatment, various things. Number seven is the uh, mismatched dynamics in personalities, power dynamics within the home. Who's going to run this and that? Who's going to take care of the bills? Who's going to Who's going to do the dishes? This is always a source of conflict. And can if, it, if we don't treat these areas right, it can lead to very dangerous places. Are you still with me? So I want to begin tonight by relating to you some common mistakes that people make when trying to resolve conflicts. Now, yes, I, I'm giving this kind of the flavor toward marriage, and toward family, but listen, this is true with any conflict in life. So you can use this because you're mad at your best friend for the last 20 years. You're mad at your uncle, your auntie, your nana, whatever it is. So listen, this is how not to deal with conflicts. Are you ready? Name calling. This is offensive and insulting. Often, When we revert to name-calling and ad hominem attacks, it is an intention to blame, to attack, to condemn, to reject, or to ridicule. You know the problem with calling calling someone names and belittling them verbally? The problem with that is exactly what the Bible says about your words. That your words, your tongue has the power of death and life. And when you speak out and you call someone an evil name or even curse and say, damn you to hell, you know, you got to really think through that what you're saying. You are praying to God that he would punish them for all eternity in flames. Is that really what you mean to say? Because that's the word that came out of your mouth. Or you, you begin to use foul language about people. And the truth is, what James says, your tongue is like the rudder on a ship. And even though you are just reacting in the moment, when you speak a word of evil and call someone a name, you are charting a course for their life. You will call them what they are going to become. This is why you would be much wiser, instead of calling them a name, Even if you don't see evidence, you should speak about someone in a positive way. You should say that they're a faithful person. They're a godly person. Even if you don't see that evidence right away. Because your words can steer the ship of their life. Character attacks. See, when uh, when a husband or a wife begins to attack the character of their partner. This should be avoided because it's not fair. It usually will begin with the words, you always, or you never take out the trash. And even though he may not have taken out the trash, I'm going to preach about myself tonight. Even though he may not have taken it out for the last month, there was a time when I did take it out. So that's actually not accurate. You can't say never. (laughs) My wife is (laughs) laughing at me. (laughs) You can't say never because 
That is inaccurate. And when you use those words, always, never, you are, uh, you are bringing false accusations against someone's character. Criticism. Too often we use criticism in the midst of conflict that because we're having a discussion, a disagreement, that we begin to, instead of deal with the real problem, and we'll, here's what we'll do. I'll tell you what, what my problem is. Oh, so you're going to come against me. Well, let me tell you a little something about you. We begin to criticize. These statements give the perception that the person that you are in conflict with is so flawed that there's no hope for them to change. Is that what you want to create in your house? Another problem, another uh, mistake that people make in conflict is stonewalling. This often happens when uh, there's a, in a relationship, there, there's, there's usually one who is a stonewaller and the other one who is a pursuer, a runner and a pursuer. So you have one person that when a conflict occurs, you have one that just shuts down and wants to run away. And then you have the other person who wants to follow after them. Excuse me, we're not done here. A runner and a pursuer. And what this can lead to is, no, we're going to work this out right now. We're going to talk this through. And the person who wants to run just begins to shut down altogether. These fights rarely conclude well, rarely get resolved. And what will happen is it will just be dirty laundry under the bed until the next time somebody gets annoyed at the other and brings it all back up again and then you have more running and more pursuing and it just is a circle of hurt feelings some people deal with uh, think that they're resolving conflicts with nonverbal gestures like putting up a hand waving a finger doing some motion that just says, get away from me. Sometimes it's just an eyebrow. But whatever it is, it is a dismissive, nonverbal gesture that says to your partner, you're not even worth talking to. It is used to put down, to disrespect, and ultimately reject the person that you are in conflict with. That's not helpful. And the final way that many people, uh, uh, mistake that people make in resolving conflict is to try to manipulate. And many, many times the way that this happens is you have one, one person in the conflict who has better command over the English language and just going to out-talk the person in circles and beat them down verbally until they have nothing to say. This can also come in the form of aggression that, uh, that you know, like, a, like, a, uh, like an aggravated silverback gorilla. This man's going to bounce through the house and bang on walls and throw pots and pans until she just cowers in fear. And what that is is a form of manipulation, passing ultimatums, making threats, 
If you say one more thing, I'm out of here. Withholding intimacy until demands are met. All of this, this is manipulation. And the Bible tells us about manipulation that it's inspired by hell. These are the same kinds of tactics, by the way, that the devil uses. To try to force someone to change through your own manipulation, that's evil. That's wrong. Because God doesn't do that. God, the one who is powerful enough to do whatever he wants, and if he could scramble your brains, you know, and he could make you do things that he wanted he, that he wanted you to do, but he doesn't do that, does he? He gives you a will, he gives you a choice, and he says, make your choice. I set before you life and death today. Make your choice. Are you going to serve me, or are you going to serve the devil? And God takes his, he, he, he removes his ability, and he says, you make the decision. If you want to serve me, then I'll come down and I'll help you. And if you don't, then I'll let you go to hell. Isn't that amazing? God does that. And who do we think we are in the moment of conflict that we think we're going to manipulate somebody into doing our will? That's what the enemy does. That's not helpful. These are all mistakes, common mistakes that people make when they find themselves in conflict. I just wish that people would read the Bible. More than that, that they would follow the principles that Jesus teaches us. Because right here in the scripture that we read is such practical and timely advice that would help us in the moment of conflict. Let's examine it carefully tonight. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 15, simply says, If your brother, spouse, nana, sister, brother, uncle, tio, tia, sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. How many mistakes have I seen made right there? You've got a problem with the big boy. And who do you go talk to? You talk to mama, you talk to sister, you talk to somebody at work, you talk talk to everybody except the person you have a problem with. And you think that's going to solve anything, right? And see, Jesus, he, he, he puts all the drama aside. He puts all the Jerry Springer nonsense off to the side. All of the day, daytime television, all of that nonsense, he removes it all with this one, one commandment. He says, just go to them. Just, just go to them. And, you know, I know that Jesus didn't have a cell phone. But even if he did, I can promise you, Jesus would not have said, Text them. At least make the phone call. And here's just some practical advice. In a world of technology, you cannot express emotion through a text message. You can't do it. Can't do it. If you need to work out a conflict, you cannot hide behind a keyboard. See, Facebook and social networks have trained our brains to, to, be, to be those trolls, man, that just want to get our emotions all out on, onto the screen. That's not helpful. Because no matter how much emotion you put into a text message, and no matter how many emojis you add at the bottom, and even you could add a GIF, 
I'm telling you, it's not going to do what a simple conversation, five-minute phone call could accomplish. And it's amazing to me how much, how much energy people are putting into, how many billions and trillions of text messages go flying across the airwaves right now, and a five-minute phone call could fix the problem. Just go to them. I'm, I've been amazed over the years. You know, being a pastor is kind of a weird position to be in because people see me as, as a spiritual authority, and I know that I am. And so, but one of the things that comes with the territory is that people see me differently. They think that I'm not a human being somehow. And so uh, if I say something, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not perfect. Sometimes I say things and I do things that people take the wrong way and or awesome. I remember one time somebody sent me a text message and I sent back a two-letter two reply that just said, okay, send. And this person carried a grudge because they thought that I was angry because all I said was, okay. They were expecting something else. I didn't know. I couldn't read their mind. But just because they got that reply, they said, what does he mean by that? <laughs> and this person carried that around. And, and you know, we were at church and shaking hands and like, and I say, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. And like, nice to see you. Whoa, what happened? What, did I do something? Please. I didn't even know for a long time. And then, and then you know, and then it'll come out months later. You know, I, did, I didn't appreciate the way that you sent me the, the two-letter text message response. <laughs> Jesus simply said, if someone has sinned against you, you need to make it known. See, we can't live this life expecting everyone around us to be able to read our minds. I better say that one more time. You can't expect everyone in the world to read your mind. You need to communicate when you have been sinned against. See, Jesus did not say, if your brother has sinned against you, then give off bad vibes until they feel bad enough that they come and approach you crawling on glass. Is that what Jesus said? If somebody has sinned against you, then you should uh, post to their mama on Facebook about how you didn't appreciate. It's simple. Keep it between two people. Don't spread the drama. Don't unload and puke on other people and children and family and and don't go to, you know, the, the TLC channel to make yourself feel. I'm telling you, man. I think that that entire channel exists to simply raise your self-esteem. You know what I'm talking about? The TLC channel? That's the one that has the, my 600-pound life, you know? And as I'm watching this 600-pound person just shoving food into their face at every moment of the day, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not so bad. I'm not... I'm, a, I'm in pretty good shape, actually. <laughs> Just by watching, I feel better. All right, you know, it's the same channel that has the hoarders, you know, the people that can't throw a single apple core away after they finished eating it. And, I, and then I'm looking at my house and I say, man, it's pretty clean around here. <laughs> the whole channel exists to make you feel better about yourself. 
This is why people watch Jerry Springer, too. At least, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I don't know how I got off on that tangent. But Jesus keeps it so simple. There is so much power in just having a discussion. This is an art form that has been lost in our generation, hasn't it? Having a conversation. We think that we're so technological because we have social networks and we have Skype and we have FaceTime and we have Zoom conferences and you still can't have a five-minute conversation. Listen, can we talk about something? Can we just navigate this? Because if you'd be willing to do that, it requires humility. It requires patience. The ability to just listen to somebody and be listened to. That's what conversation is. It's not preaching a sermon. Let me sit you down and tell you what happened to me. No, a conversation is it's a conversation. And Jesus makes this remark. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. How many churches could have been saved from splitting apart if Christians would have followed that advice instead of talking behind backs, gossiping? There's a step two. There are times when conflicts are deep enough and difficult enough that a five-minute or a 50-minute conversation is not going to bring a a righteous resolution. Sometimes we simply do not have the tools to work through a particularly difficult problem. And for this case, Jesus has a DEFCON 2 of conflict resolution. Verse 16. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. This means that it is okay. This is why we have a church. In fact, this is the very first time in the New Testament that the word church is mentioned from the mouth of Jesus. The first mention, it's always a good Bible rule, that the first mention of any concept in the Bible is a very important thing to take away. And Jesus is mentioning the church in the context here of conflict resolution. Why does the church exist? Part of the reason is to bring righteous resolutions between conflicting people. If this is in the arena of marriage, listen, I don't... (laughs) Just some kind advice. If you have marriage problems, you can come to me and my wife. Please please don't dump that on other people, right? However, when there is conflict within the church, we should be willing to bring other people in on that. Sometimes people get so uh, embarrassed. They get so closed into themselves. And we live in this uh, this weird church age of, Uh, anonymous Christianity where I just want to go in and clap my hands and listen to the message and go back home and I don't really want 
to have relationship with anybody else. I don't want anybody else to know me, and I don't want to know anybody else. And this COVID thing has really uh, taken that to the next level, hasn't it? And the churches today, uh, we, we have become a church that is, even though we might still have services together, people online, but relationships have really suffered. We really ought to be willing to open ourselves up, especially in the moment of conflict resolution. This is why the church exists, so that you can find righteous resolution. There's a third level. Verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So there is a place for correction. There is a place for healthy separation. This, this, is, a, uh, this is such a pressure relief valve from Jesus. And what I mean by that is that Jesus does not lock you in forever with a person who is sinning against you. Because there are some people that are so blind that even if you come to them and say, listen, you've sinned against me, they don't care. Or you say, listen, I I want to have some counselors. I want to go talk to the pastor. Can we go together and try to work this out? And still nothing changes. And in that situation, Jesus didn't say, well, I guess you just got to put up with it. No, he didn't. He said, listen, there is still another level that if a sinning brother, it is established before godly counsel and established in a church community that this is sinful behavior. Let's not, let's, let's not uh, make sure that we don't minimize this. This is behavior that is sin, not just annoying things that you don't like. You didn't put the seat down, right? We're not going to kick you out of church for that or break up a, a marriage because of that. But what I'm saying is that when sin is involved. There is a place that righteous resolution includes separation. That's okay. And it's needed in many places. Now I want to close. I've taken too much time. I want to close quickly tonight by talking about the power of righteous resolution. Look at the power of this that Jesus speaks about in verse 18. Because remember, what we've talked about, everything so far, it's about bringing righteous resolution to people who are in conflict. And making the point that there are ways, there are strategies, there are uh, commandments to follow, and if we will do that, we will find ourselves finding righteous resolution to people. And now Jesus is going to tell us why this is so important. Verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is he speaking about? He is speaking about the the authority that the church has on earth. With God. He is saying that there is power on the earth that comes from heaven when God's people are united together in spirit and in purpose. I mean, we see this at work in the book of Acts, don't we? We see uh, that the apostles speak and God says, yep. We see Peter, you know, standing and there's Ananias and Sapphira. They had promised their certain amount uh, to give to the church. 
And they came back and held a, pro, a part of the proceeds. And Peter's like, you're going to die standing right there. And God backed him up. God killed him. His wife did the same thing. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, they're going to carry you out too. And God says, yep. Backed him up. This is what we see. Where does that authority come from? It comes from a unified church. If you want to have a spiritual family, if you want to have the presence of God in your home, you've got to be willing to work out conflicts. When you can come to resolution, see, what you will achieve is a unity in your marriage, in your home, between parents and children, friendships, relationships. This is what God smiles upon. See, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Because when you have children that are constantly fighting and bickering, all you want to do is punish them. Just shut up and go to your rooms. I don't want to hear it. But what about when your children are together? And they care and they love one another and they're helping each other with their homework and they're, they're, they're not bickering and, and they're even being a blessing to the... Dad, can I do the dishes, please? Wow! And when your children would work together in unity, what do you as a parent, you say, can we go get some ice cream? I want to bless these children. I want to help them. Because look at them working together. This is how our Father in heaven, He looks down at His church, and when He sees conflict, mm, when He sees resolutions that are, are not happening, He sees grudges being held, and God says, I can't work with that. But when he sees a church that is unified, that is together with one heart, one purpose, yes, along the way, personalities, we're going to have conflicts. But if we will work them out, more than that, we will have spiritual effectiveness. Verse 19, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven. God puts His stamp of approval on your life when you are committed to being a peacemaker. Jesus, in His Sermon on the Mount, spoke about the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the earth. And finally, we are promised by Jesus divine presence of a holy God. Look at verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together, in my name, underline the word together. Where they are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This is a verse that we often quote when we're feeling lonely or when, when only a few people show up to the service <laughs> and we want to encourage one another. This is a... This is a this is, a, a, a scripture that the pioneer preacher keeps close to his vest. When one wandering soul comes in besides his own family. Yes! Where two or three are gathered. But that's not the context Jesus was speaking about. He was speaking about righteous resolutions. When my church comes together, is able to resolve conflicts. He says, I'll be there. I'll be part of that meeting. 
I'll be part of that home, that marriage, that family. So what about you tonight? Take stock of your life, your relationships right now. See, some people, some people are so bad at this that they're just going from one relationship to the next, leaving a, a, a war path of broken relationships. You can really, tonight, you can really measure how spiritual you are based on how many long-term godly friendships do you have in life. Because that's the mark of someone who can work out a conflict. How about you? Do you have some relationships that need righteous resolutions tonight? We have the answer right in front of, in, right in front of us. If we'd be humble enough to follow the instructions. Let's bow our heads tonight. We're going to close our eyes. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.